Thursday night, Alcoholics and God, Speaker Step Series. We're going to have somebody come up here and tell the joke. Dana? I'm Dana. I'm your alcoholic comedian for this evening. I got a double feature for you tonight. Have you heard about alcoholic Alzheimer's disease? You forget everything, oh. but the resentment. <laughs> and uh, it's the first drink that gets you drunk, but it's the last one that gets you sober. Oh. I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is James. Thank you for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that may make noise and might distract others. Take this time to get connected to God and let the craziness of the day drift away. And ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. If everyone is ready, we're going to begin the meditation. Please say, please 
to say the fog light prayer which is up on both screens God let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick and dying can find your love through me there is a solution from the big book page 17 the tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution we have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Michael to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Last time you used your British accent. Are you going to use your French accent this time? Please welcome Michael. Spiritual Experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experience must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics nevertheless conclude that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the differences long before himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone, What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unexpected inner resource that they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think of this awareness of a power greater than ourselves as the essence of a spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are essentials of recovery. But these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer, Alcoholics Anonymous, pages 567, 568. Um. 
Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so turn your phone off or put it on Do Not Disturb. We have Paulette here for her third session. I, <laughs> I, love, I, I have a lot of love for her, and God always has great takeaways from the things she says. So please welcome up, Paulette. Oh, you got light on tonight. <laughs> now I can see everyone's faces. Uh, tonight I'm a little bit nervous. Uh, uh, my, my sponsor, my first sponsor used to say, it's God shaking the truth out of you. Uh, so I feel a little bit nervous, but that's okay. Because um, it's God who does the work. I'm just the vessel. And... Um, Hello, fellow travelers. It's the third week, third step. And remember, we don't do this cafeteria style. Um, we do it one step after the other step after the other step because we are building a new life, a spiritual life, one that I have never had or dreamt of having before I found, crawled or washed up in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. So here we go. Okay, God, we're up. I got to say the set-aside prayer. I want to say it first before I even tell you who I am. That's how nervous I feel tonight. Please indulge me. This is my set-aside prayer that my um, sponsor, Dorothy H., gave me before she passed away. And I use this prayer to help me, to center me, to balance me whenever I am talking or discussing about my experience, strength, and hope about the steps. Um, if, you're not, um, if your mind is not open to this kind of life yet, I beg of you, just keep an open mind. And please indulge me. This is the set-aside prayer. And it goes like this. There's many versions of it, but this one speaks to my spirit. Dear God, please set aside everything I think I know about myself. This book, my disease, these steps, and especially about you, dear God, so that I may have an open mind and a new experience with all these things. Please help me to see the truth. Thank you. And now I'm going to tell you who I am, the way I was taught when I first crawled into the rooms of AA because I wasn't one of those who just got up and got dressed and just happily skipped my way into AA. <laughs> I am not one of those alcoholics. I had to be beaten in submission. And this is what my, um, my first sponsor, Philip B., taught me, how to introduce myself to a group of fellow travelers. I am an alcoholic. I have a home group. My home group is the one-day-at-a-time group of Alcoholics Anonymous located in Miramar. 
My home group meets every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. I am sponsored and I sponsor. To me, it's the difference between work and working. I have a sober date and my sober date is January 28, 1995. And my name is Paulette. Hello, fellow travelers. Um, So tonight we are on step three. The decision step. And as you have, if you have ever heard me share about the steps, I always read it before I begin to dive in. Not because I want you to hear my voice, but because I want to follow the direction as they're written. I am one of those alcoholics to this day like to add things to things and make shit up. Uh, <clears throat> And so I like to read it because I follow the directions when I read it because I hear it out loud. And um, step three of Alcoholics Anonymous 12 Steps says, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. That's what step three says. Um, And if you have been with us for the past two weeks, you realize that we have been building a home where we are going to live in. Um, Bill Wilson, our co-founder, likes to talk about our spiritual life in architectural terms. And I, I tend to gravitate towards it because I'm a visual alcoholic. If I can visualize it, I have a better chance of maybe trying it. Um, so I like how he uses architectural terms to build the steps on each other so that I can be a part of the process. It helps me. Hope it does for you. And um, so we're going to look at the steps. And I want to go. I like to take the step piece meal at a time. I don't like to do it all at once. I tend to get overwhelmed sometimes. So I need, I, I, I've learned how to do pieces at a time. And then it all comes together for this alcoholic. And so I'm going to start with God as we understood him. Which also ties back into where we left off in step two. Power greater than ourselves. Because there's some of us, when I first came into the rooms had no relationship with the God concept. And so I I understand that this is a slow process. I remember when I first got sober in AA, I got sober in Brooklyn, New York. And the old timers would say, I wish for you a slow recovery. And I got pissed about that. (laughs) I promise I was working on my swearing a day at a time but I was angry about it I was resentful because I thought they meant that they didn't want me to get what they had that's how my thinking was but as I kept coming I understood what they meant by a slow recovery because if I do it slowly a day at a time it will stick and stay and I have a better chance of practicing what the steps is suggesting So let's look at this last piece, shall we? In step three, God as we understood him. By the way, I hope you have a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous 
and its accompanying partner, the 12 and 12. It is our text. And um, if you open that book, you will, you're apt to find you in it. Do not be disturbed about it. It is written for people like us. And so it is a step-by-step instruction that I find very, very helpful that I don't have to make stuff up. And I turn to page 55 in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'd like us to start from there. So some nights I don't read a lot, but tonight it spoke to my spirit and I wanted to talk about that part of the third step, God as we understand, as we understood God, because of what is written in We the Agnostic. 55. For alcoholics like me, when I first came in, this was very important. And he says here, <clears throat> I want to start over here at 55. He says, no, I want to start on, on, on um, sorry, give me a minute. I missed my page. I hate that. But I know where I want to go. I want to go into where he talks about where we take flight. Because this is important for me to remember. Um, At first, let's recap for a minute. Bill talks about step one as laying a foundation. If I'm building a house where I live, I'm going to live in with the God of my understanding, not there yet. He says there is a foundation that needs to be done where I can see that recovery is possible. I have a disease that wants me dead. I know that because I've looked at my past when I did step one and reflected on it. Talks about laying that foundation. Um, I call it the slab of concrete, that cold, hard fact of who and what I had become. And then he talks about the second step, that change is possible. But it's possible only if I can tap into a power greater than myself. That will, that may or could or would, that's how I used to talk about it, but now I know will restore me to sanity, soundness of mind. And when he talks about that, he's talking about the concept of belief. And he talks about it in a way that for me, it means that my idea, my belief system that was all screwed up when I got here. Closed-mindedness is one of them. Because once I get an idea, my mind locks onto it. Doesn't let it go. No other idea is going to get in. It, I, no other idea, nobody can get into my mind. That's the kind of mind I crawl into the rooms of AA with. With all my prejudice and my likes and dislikes. By the way, it didn't take much for me not to like you. You just had to wear a different color shirt one night and I just don't like you. That's the kind of disease I have. And that's the mind I'm talking about. Nothing gets in. It's all trapped in there. Well, this is a part of it that I wanted to continue to open up my mind with that part of the steps. And I I chose to start there because that spoke to me. And he says here. On page 55, actually we were fooling ourselves. For deep down in every man, woman, and child 
is the fundamental idea of God. It may be obscured. In other words, it may be hidden by calamity. And I know everyone that is sitting here knows exactly what calamity is. We come here because of it. We have caused so many, many broken hearts, broken homes, lost jobs, jails, institutions, financial bankruptcy, children in foster care, loss of children. All of those things added up to the calamity that he's talking about that has obscured God as I understand God. Hidden from me because of all these calamities. And then he says here, by pomp, by worship of other things. If you're an alcoholic like me, looking good on the outside and having a large home and a great job with many titles, was exactly what I was. Showing you that I was somebody through those things. Those things was who I was. Empty on the inside, but those things represented who I was. Success. The more successful I was, you couldn't tell me I was sick. And then it says here, in some form or other, this is what he says, have obscured my idea of God that is inside of me all along. Then he says here, he says, for faith, first time he mentions faith. Remember, we had to go through belief before we got to faith, not the other way around. My belief system had to be changed into it does. I had a mustard seed of trust because I watched you people recover and talk about the things you were recovering from. And some of you, I don't know, it had to be a power greater than yourself because the things you were talking about, I couldn't understand what power could have ever do. How could this person recover? Whatever they were going to was so great. And yet they had no desire to pick up a drink or a mood altering substances. Something was operating and I was seeing the evidence of it. So now he talks about faith. For faith in a power greater than myself. And I'm going to read in first person sometimes. And miraculous demonstrations. You are the miraculous demonstrations by the way. Of that power in human lives are fact as old as man himself. Bill says this in We the Agnostics. In case you have not opened your mind enough to adapt to the God concept. And he says, we finally, I finally saw faith in some kind of God, a part of my makeup, just as much as feel. That just as much as a feeling that I had for a friend. So now God, as I understand, God has now become a friend. And then he says, sometimes I had to search fearlessly. But if I did, he was there. And then he says, he was as much a fact 
as I was. And then he says here, I found a great reality deep down within us. We found a great reality deep down in us. God is now being referred as the great reality. Another concept, another terminology, another way of identifying God as I understand God. And then he says, in the last analysis, it is only there that we, he may be found. It was so with me. And he says, now I want to talk about another main. He says, we can only clear ground a bit. Slow, slow recovery. If our testimony helps, if what I share from this pulpit tonight or this presentation where I'm giving you, if it helps you to clear away some of the prejudice you may have about this concept of God as I understand God, he says. And if it enables you to think honestly about where you are and about what you need to do about getting a power greater than yourself, he says. If you wish to do that, you can join us on the broad highway. I'm going to stop there for a minute. If some of you who have studied our um, Alcoholics Anonymous history, we are derived from the Oxford group, which was a very narrow path. It was more of a religious group for alcoholics. We had to do things exactly the way they wanted it to do, and we had to pray the way they wanted to pray, and they had, we had to practice religious practices. Here is a new concept in Alcoholics Anonymous. God as I understand God is my own concept. I define God. I don't know about you, but an alcoholic like me who like to make shit up, that's a great way of giving me freedom. I make up God as I understand God. How cool is that? Way cool. So if you're stuck on the, the God concept, think about it. You are in charge of making up the concept of God as, your own understa- as you understand God. This is what he's saying. Join us on the broad highway. You have freedom to discover the God of your own understanding. This is important because you cannot do step three without defining some concept of what this higher power is going to be like. Because what this step is asking you, asking us to do is really deep. It is going into my mind. Because see, my recovery begins in my mind. Because that's where my disease lives. And so he says, with this attitude, what attitude should I take? An attitude of open-mindedness. An attitude of honesty as best as I can, except when it comes to alcohol. I have to be 100% in. A willingness that is definitely there has to be an attitude of willingness. This attitude, I cannot fail. I guarantee, I cannot fail. And then he says, 
the consciousness of my belief system is sure to come to me. My mind has cracked open a little. I have just been able to enter into a new way of thinking by trying to define and accept that a power greater than me has always been inside of me. Now I have to define it. I have to find it. I have to bring it up. It has been obscured by all of my drama. And so here he says, and I want to finish reading because I like this part when you, very few times I, talk, I read the stories about the recovered alcoholics that went through this transformation. Because step three is a transformation for me. He talks about the man who was a minister's son. And I will summarize because of from time factor and because I want you to pick up the book and read it yourself. Because you're not going to be spoon-fed by any AAs. We don't cuddle alcoholics. Because if we cuddle alcoholics, you would be dead. What we do is we tease you. We entice you. We make ourselves look so attractive, damn attractive, that you want what we have. And before you know it, God damn it, we tricked you into doing the work. That's how they got me. And you're no different than me. And so our friend is a minister, son, and he attended church school regularly like I did growing up. I OD'd on Bible study. I couldn't run fast enough by the time I got out into the world. Nothing to do with them religious folks. This is the same experience this alcoholic fellow travelers had. He had the same thing. And he said, for years, he was dogged by trouble and frustration. Business failures, calamities, insanity, fatal illness, suicide, calamities. These calamities in his immediate family embittered and depressed him. And finally, he says, post-war disillusionment. And I'm going to take a little minute from here and talk about post-war disillusionment. Because there are people here tonight who are coming back from relapse. Not a judgment. And thank God you made it back. But we had a pandemic for two years. And we were cut off from our live meetings. And lots of us didn't make it. Lots of us went out. And lots of us were destroyed by being cut off from the rest of us. And some of us became spiritually sick and emotionally ill within those two years. We were disillusioned by the fact that we could not be connected to each other because we had not had a con conscious contact with God as we understood God. So we could survive the war of the pandemic. So post-war disillusionment for me was the, the pandemic. Did I survive it? You bet your sweet Jesus I did. Because I had to run to find meetings like I chased my drink and my drug. I knew I had to. 
had a God of my own understanding by that time, but this started this way. So I'm talking about from my humble beginnings, when they say, find that concept of a higher power and begin to build a relationship. That's where it starts from. And then he continues to talk about all the things that happens to him. And this time he ended up in the hospital like I did. And another alcoholic brought the message. And he says, a message of spiritual experiences. And guess what my fellow traveler says? If there is a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. In other words, Janet Jackson's song, What Have You Done For Me Lately? Because that's how I talk to God. <laughs> what have you done for me lately? But later on, in alone in his room, he asked himself this question. Because see, there comes a time in every alcoholic life that is just you. You alone with your disease. What you going to do? And he had that moment and he said, is it possible that all these religious people were wrong or right, wrong? And while he was thinking about it, he says, I felt as if I had lived in hell. If anybody here sitting here tonight feel that exactly the way this man says, then you're right where you're supposed to be. Because I felt like he did. I crawled out of hell. And he said, he, like a thunderbolt, he thought that came to him. A thought that came to him and says, who are you to say, there is, to say that there, aren't no, there is no God? Now, I, don't ha I did not have that kind of experience. The experience that I had was I was sitting in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting six months sober and all of a sudden the thought occurred to me that the obsession to drink had been lifted and I don't know when that to me was my thunderbolt experience and his was the thought that hit him right away now I've come to understand that each one of us experienced this in our own way Bill Wilson talks about it that it's better to meet God alone than to meet God with someone who might misunderstand you. He's talking about if you have a concept of a higher power and somebody else doesn't understand that concept, you can go to God on your own terms by yourself. Because each one of us have an individual adventure. And if you're like me, I'm an alcoholic, I love an adventure. I'm always on the edge. I love living on the edge. Just that I can't manage the edge. You know, and so he's talking about this spiritual experience in the hospital. Mine came six months in AA. Something that is unbelievable, un indescribable, unheard of. And then he says... The barriers that he had built up against that obscured idea, the God idea, just melted away. For me, it took a while. 
I'm identifying. And then he says now, here is it. He stood in the presence of an infinite power and love. That's God in his that he understands. God is now being described as infinite power and love. And then he says, he has stepped from the bridge to the shore. The bridge of reason. The shore of faith. Because reason and logic can only take me so far. It's faith that takes me to the shore where I can be amongst you and live the way this has been designed for me to live. And so, here is it. When I said believing, second step is part of the cornerstone. Bill says it on page 56. This, thus our friend's cornerstone was fixed in place. Second step. That's the God I'm talking about in third. So it's a miracle that we don't have the obsession. It's been gone. But it's a miracle that the God idea has always been with us. And he says here, even so has God restored us all to our right minds. Sound mind. Soundness of mind. Sanity has returned. To this man the revelation was sudden. To an alcoholic like me it was a gradual thing. Some of us grow into it more slowly. But he has come to all of us who has honestly and I would like to add sincerely, seek him. And so here we are. This is, I have opened up the door for you to have all freedom and all rights to find that God of your understanding. That is why I wanted to start there. Because now I'm going to talk about the sixth part of this step. I hope I have enough time, Mike. I do? Okay. Because I'm going to talk about the part about the will and on the lives. That's the sickest part of me. I don't know about you. Self-will got me here. Grace of God kept me here. And so he talks about it when we go into, and I'm going to do something that helps me. Page 62. <laughs> Selfishness and self-centeredness. That we think is the root of your trouble, Paulette. Driven by a hundred form of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us. And here is a word I love the best in this paragraph. Seemingly, without provocation. But we invariably find that at some time in the past, we have made some decision based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. 
So when my sponsor used to listen to me for five seconds, when I was complaining about how much my family hurt me and robbed me of this and took away this and don't give me no respect and don't treat me like I am a human being and disrespectful to me, and he says five seconds, he means five seconds, because I'm complaining about what my family has done to me, seemingly without provocation, somewhere in my past, I had given them enough problems where I've hurt them that they could treat me the way I treat, they treat me, and I don't remember. Because you see, I have a disease that takes away the memory of me doing you things. It doesn't take away from me what you have done to me. And I want to expand on self. And the self that I have, me, me, I'm going to tell you something about it. <laughs> Funny. Big book, page 61. A life run on self-will can hardly be called a success. Boom. So I wasn't successful when I got here. On that basis, I am almost in collision with something or somebody, even though my motives are good. There's a part in the big book that says, there's good in all of us and there's bad in all of us. Tells me, that each person have shades of good and bad, but my motives is what I'm more concerned about. See, my motives are always about self, always. If I'm getting what I want, all is well. But the minute I'm not getting what I want, your life is hell. <laughs> He says here, most people try to live by self-propulsion, forcing, using excessive energy to wrestle everything out of life, out of everybody. No matter what, it, I, what extent I have to go through, I'm always doing that. Bill talks about it, he calls it wrestling happiness. My happiness has to come from outside when I'm living on self-will. So that's why I'm so upset when you don't behave right. This is why I'm in, always in trouble with other people because I depend my happiness, my peace of mind, everything that I value depends on you acting right. It's outside of me. That's why I get into trouble, calamities. My car has a flat, big deal. I have to shut down 95. <laughs> I had a flat. It has to be repaired. All of you have to wait. Self, that's the alcoholic I am. And so he says, uh, each person is like an actor, me. I want to run the whole show, actually, and, and play all parts. Um, and I'm forever trying to rearrange and arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own ways, which means 
me, myself, and I. That's what he's talking about. So he says, what is self-will? It's a very important question. In this step, it has to be addressed. In my humble opinion and from my experience, strength, and hope. What is self-will? He says this. It's the key, he says, to understanding the meaning of will. In order for me to tackle step three. That's the heart of the inventory that will come afterwards. And he says, now this is the part that kicked me in the butt earlier on. He says, there's only two wills. Human will. And God as I understand will. No other will exist on planet earth. And guess what? We has been given the will. How do I know? Because here's what Bill says in the 12 and 12. He goes here when he says this in step four. He told me what that is, the self-will. In 12, 12 and 12, step four. This is what Bill starts with. This is the self. He says, creation gave us instincts. Here is God again as creation. It gave us instincts for a purpose. Without them, I would not be a complete human being. If men and women didn't exert themselves, which means if we didn't work, we wouldn't be secure in ourselves. We would make no effort to harvest food. We would make no effort to construct shelter. There would be no survival. If I did not reproduce, the earth wouldn't be populated. This is what creation gave all of us human beings. But the will that we were given, the natural desires, instinct, God-given, Bill says, and I believe it. He says it can be a blessing and a curse. Because when this will far exceeds its purpose... Which means there's no balance to it. It now becomes a curse. And that's what drove me to you. And so he says here. If there was no social instincts. If I didn't care nothing about you or society. Selfish, self-centered. There would be no society. So these desires and these desires are what makes up myself, my God-given natural instincts. It was given to me. And it says, these desires for sex relations, for material and emotional security, and for companionship are perfectly necessary and right. So it was right for me to have it. But in the hands of a raving lunatic like me, I did damage. Far exceeds its purpose. That wasn't the intention. And so he says, 
Yet these ex- ex- instincts, so necessary for my existence, often far exceeds its proper function. It becomes all about me, self. And so he's talking about what it does to me. And here's what that will does. When self goes before will, when self goes before pity, when self goes before self-seeking, or just put self before that and you recognize what I'm talking about because I know you're just like me. He says, here's what happens. Powerfully, blindly, many times subtle, they drive us, they dominate us, and they insist on ruling our lives. Talk about an obsession. I'm upset. I am so obsessed with self. This is what Bill is saying. It's what got me here. So then he says, we have been operating on misdirected instincts. I think actually it's one of the kindest things he has ever said about me. (laughs) He was being kind. Because they're not misdirected. Purposefully driven, he says. And then he says, so in in step four, he's telling us about that. And now we're in step three. So so we continue to define more about this will. He says, here is what we need to do now. We have to take a look at it. And he says, look at how the will is, is, that is naturally given. It's divided up. Social instincts. God given. God wants me to have, as, remember, this is God as I understand God. My concept of God. Find your own. Social instincts. I have the right to companionship. God has given me the right to prestige. God has given me the right to self-esteem. He's given me the right to have pride. He's given me the right to have personal relationships. He's given me the right to have ambitions. That's just the social instincts of the natural desire God-given instinct that I have been given. And then he says, let's look at the security instincts. The one for material. That I will work because I want money so I can do the things I need to do to take care of me. The emotional security. And my ambitions. And then here comes the other one. The sex instincts. God-given. He says, these are all parts of our basic instincts that was given to us. What happens to me is that they get out of control and I use it to help self. It was meant to be that way. It wasn't meant to be that way. That's why I get into trouble when I have a wrong motives. And I'm a good girl. I mean, I clean up nice, but I got some good characteristics. I came in here, I, could, I was kind, I was polite. It, it, sometimes I'm talking to you and in my head I'm thinking some bad things, but I'm good. Back then, this is part of the actor that he was talking about. And then he says, 
Most of my trouble stems from a spiritual sickness. I don't know about you, but I tend to identify with that. So he's talking about that. So he says here also that we need to remember that all of my self-pity, my resentment, my fears, all these hundred forms of self was all caused because of my seeking to bring too much, to take too much out of these instincts that were God-given. So let me tell you something. This is something that has stayed with me. The will that he's talking about here is equal to my thinking. If I'm thinking only about self, self-will, that means I am only working for my own interests. It means I will go to any lengths to satisfy self. And the minute my thinking, which is of my own, decides on something that I want, and it stays with me and I water it and I nurture it and I keep it growing, it's only a matter of time I'm going to take action to gain it. And so if I'm going to want somebody, for example, I want to move up in the company that I am working in. I don't want to work for it the right way. I want to go around the back way. But somebody's standing in my way. I find a way to eliminate that person. I see a few people laughing because you must have done it too. But it's just a, bare ex just a mere example of how we operate when we are working on self-will. The will is the thinking. Self. Always about self. And when I do a couple of those in a day, execute it, it's the sum total of my life. So think about all of the things that I have done for self that, at the expense of others to satisfy the self. Because either I want more because I think I'm being threatened or somebody's taking something that belongs to me. And I will do anything to get it right because it's mine. It's all about self. So the pursuit to please self begins with my will. And my will in this context is my thinking. And if my thinking is all about self, then everything else that comes out of that, the outcome, is never going to be good. That's what I know for me. And that sums up my life. My thinking is the sum total of my life, which are the actions I take to execute that thinking. This been my, that's my pattern. Those are the information that I have gathered about me. And so what he's saying here is that will, that will become my life. I need to turn it over. Why? Because I see the evidence 
of what has happened to me when I got here. I didn't come here for my good looks. I didn't come here because I was an angel. I didn't come here because I had a minor fraction outside. I came here because I was in deep trouble. I was in hell. All because of that will. And so he's talking about it. So he says, if I use that God as I understand God, he calls it the keystone. Remember, we are building a home, a house, built on spiritual principles. The keystone locks everything in. It keeps everything together. Now, you have heard part of my story. I don't want to be in charge of locking everything together. Because something or somebody's going to say something and I'm going to lose it. And that house is going to fall apart. So I need somebody who is consistent under all circumstances, all calamities, nothing. I think Bill calls it vicissitudes, I think he calls it. Which means that no form of calamities can shake me if I get that key locked in place. And that's the key of God's will, not mine. It's the key, it locks everything in place. So when life on life terms like Ed passing, when death comes to my door, I don't think of a drink because my door, my, it's locked in place, not by me, because I know. He said, be prepared from this step to be able to have that keystone, hold your house in place, keystone. Because if you do that, you will be able to pass through free. All my life I've been looking to be free. He says it's the arch that which we should pass through freedom. And so this is what he's talking about. So when he says, when Bill says, the willingness to turn my will and my life over to the care of God, the keystone he is referring to the willingness as the foundation, believing as the cornerstone, because he has been using these architectural terms to allow us to visualize the kind of home we are building so that we can be, live in. He says, but what we have not realized is that he says, surrender. Surrender my thinking. And surrender that becomes the keystone in which we pass the freedom. Page 62, big book. And he says, now here's the kicker. Some of us, including myself in the beginning, thinking that if I turn my will, my thinking, and my life, which is the actions, the sum total of my thinking in action, over to God, it's a trap. Because I know you think like I do. It is not. It is an exit. It's a way out. And so it is desirable for us to think about it. So when I turn my thinking over and my action over, I am definitely in good hands. Now I save the best for last because it talks about made a decision. That's all that step is asking us to do, I know. You mean you went through all of that shit, Paulette, just to tell us that this was about a decision? 
Yes. That's all step three is. A decision. But you got to know why. You, because if you were like me, making a decision, we just made it, give me a drink, I'll decide. Right? Give me something that will take me out of myself so I don't have to think things through. You gather evidence, facts, information. You look at your thinking. You look at self. What has self done for you? And then all of that, then you define what your God looks like. Because as long as your God isn't you, because too sick he can't make a welly. And so you have to decide that your God is not you. Once you take all of that in consideration and you sit down with yourself, then you make a decision. That decision needs to be made based on information that you have gathered about your life. And when you decide to make that decision, it's just a decision, by the way. But here is the killer. It has a time limit. The book talks about this. There was a man he talks about had 25 years and then he went out. Because he failed to enlarge in his spiritual life. The window of opportunity with that decision making for this alcoholic is small. It's like the timing of a rocket. If it doesn't go off at a certain time, you just miss the boat. Because what happens to an alcoholic like me, I can gather a whole lot of information. And because of fear, I sit on it. I don't take advantage of it. And the window closes. That information that I gathered to help me to make that decision has now become old information. Because things changes. It changes. And so it is not the real information anymore. I lose my opportunity. So when I have gathered all the facts about the other parts of that step, that's the time when I make a decision. And that decision is whether I'm going to join this way of life or I'm going to pick up and go back. Because they always said when you come into AA, give yourself 90 days. And if you're not satisfied with what you have seen or heard, then you can pick up your misery and go back out. This decision in third is talking about that. You can either con you can make a decision on what three is offering you. Freedom to choose a God of your own understanding. As you understand that. To turn over your thinking. And your action. So that it is locked in place. That life on life terms will never shake your foundation. And that your mind will stay open. To receive whatever that is going to happen. If you can make that decision in three. Without stalling. Then you're convinced. Step three is about that for me. And so when I go and take a third step prayer. And says I offer myself to thee. To build with you. Architectural terms again. And to do with you as you will, he says. You're talking about 
turning over your life to a power that you're not so sure about it, but I'm going to take a shot. How many of you have put money in a hole and you don't know who's behind it? Many of us. Sometimes we get back oregano. And, you know, and we go back again and again. So this is not new for us to take a shot. You know, and so what happened is he says, when we do that, he says, many of us have met our maker and we say this prayer. And I believe it because I say this prayer every morning. Because one, you see, 5% of the time when I am actually turning my will over to the care of God, I get better results. A person like me who have lived 100% on self-will all my life cannot become 100% God-directed overnight. Do not kid yourself. It's called delusion. It has to be done small, increment, consistent. And so every day I do this because every day I have to. Because if I don't, I'm right back where I started. And so when I say this, I say this every day. He says, he says, as I meet my maker, because God is my principal, I am his agent. He is my father. I am his child. He talks about that in those terms. Whichever terms feel, feel good to you, I call God today my creator. That's how I call my God. And so what happened? He said, I offer myself to thee to build with me because I am now building a home. To do with me as you will. Relieve me of the bondage of self. Self. That I may better do thy will. It doesn't mean that he's going to erase, make me white as snow. It means that Whenever I am going through the self-will, if I turn to this God as I understand God, he will help me to think it through. And then somebody in this meeting will see how I go through situations that would baffle them, and they will see the demonstration of that God who I have choose to embrace to help me. That's why people say, Paulette, you look good. How could you look so good and Ed just died four months ago? Of course I look good. Because you ain't my God. My God is awesome. My God is large. And so these are the things he's talking about. You will see how I operate in my difficulties. This is how God works in my life. This is the decision that I have to make. Do I want that kind of power? Make a decision. I may better, so that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may be a witness to those I would help. Help, killing of self. Help of your power, your love, and your way of life. We're building a house, people. We have just put in the keystone. Make a decision. Thank you. Let's give another round of applause for...
And we're going to have David come up and do the secretary's report. Hi, my name is David. Um, I am your recovered alcoholic secretary. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. Um, if you don't have cash, there are QR codes on the back of uh, some of the chairs. And if not, uh, you can just go to Venmo and type in Clarence Snyder. Uh, I believe that works. Um, and I have asked Yvonne to come up and read the recovered statement. Hi, I'm an alcoholic and my name is Yvonne. Thank you for asking me, David. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. We covered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of this alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body, page 23. We are now sane when, where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you. Nineteen forties, uh, big book uh, style, big book sponsorship from the forward to the second uh, edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, fifty percent got sober at once and remained that way. Twenty-five percent sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% uh, success rate. Is there anyone in the room who needs a sponsor? Okay, if you're shy about raising your hand, um, you can just uh, come up and stand by the piano at the end of the meeting, and someone will come over and uh, speak to you. Um, can I have a show of hands of recovered alcoholics? Uh, please join us Monday nights uh, for my other home group, uh, the Big Book Study Meeting, uh, where the book comes alive. It's great. you got to see it. Um, Big uh, Fellowship starts at 6.30. Uh, Big Book Study starts at 7.15. Um, at the back table over there, we have uh, CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red, uh, little red book, and big book dictionaries for sale. Uh, we meet here every Thursday, starting promptly at 7.15, and we ask that you be courteous and... Did I screw that? Okay. Uh, we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. See you next week. Uh, we have tonight's session and all past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. Uh, there's QR codes on the back table if you want to find it on Apple Podcasts. 
Again, we'd like to invite you to the Monday night meeting. And those who would like to thank lovely Paulette, you can thank her down the center aisle here. We're going to close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Just about to start. 
Show up and plug in my guitar And I play my songs And people sing along And stomp their feet and raise their arms song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Yeah.